Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, Chris Knutson, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. And in today's episode, I talk with Dr. Marlene Kanga, who is the current president of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations. So this is the second episode in a three-part special series that will both introduce you to and focus on the Global Engineering Congress 2018 that's taking place the 22nd through the 26th of October 2018 in London at the Institution of Civil Engineering's headquarters. And through this Global Sustainability Series, our guests are going to be helping us to better understand what the Global Engineering Congress is and what the UN's Sustainable Development Goals are. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what those two entities are, what's going on with all that. We're also going to learn a little bit more about what the role of engineering organizations play in education and policy development related to the SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals and how you can get involved as either an individual or a company that's in the civil engineering space. So this is going to be a good and a very interesting, I think, three-part series. I know I'm certainly learning a lot, and I hope that you are going to be learning quite a bit from this as well. But before we get into the main segment of the show, I just want to remind you that you need to stick around until the end of the show, because at the end of this podcast, you're going to get some essential career advancement tips, and I'm also going to be sharing with you information on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam, including the exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners, thanks to our sponsor, PPI, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. So this is another info-packed episode, as Dr. Kang and I cover a lot of ground on this show. We're going to be talking a little bit more about what the WFEO, or the Federation, is, what what it is, and more importantly, what it's doing for the 30 million engineers around the globe. So for those of you that are interested in learning a little bit more about what engineering is like around the planet, you're going to learn a little bit more about what is going on outside of the United States, or if you're in the UK, what's going on outside the UK, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of information, and we do get into a little bit of a discussion around what WFEO is doing for engineers around the planet. We're also going to be learning a little bit more about what the WFEO is doing and what they are helping to do to propagate the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. So we get into that a little bit more in detail. Our third episode in this three-part series is we're going to unpack the SDGs. So we get a little bit more into what the SDGs are. I think you're going to enjoy that part of it. Uh, we do talk about diversity and the role of women in engineering. So that's a very interesting uh, perspectives that Dr. Kanga has. And I completely enjoyed and truly enjoyed her insight on that. We may have to have her come back on a future episode and talk with us a little bit more about that. And then we also get into her professional career and some great advice that she has for us as engineering professionals. So some background about Dr. Kang before we get into the uh, engineering conversation. So you get to know a little bit more about who she is. Dr. Marlene Kang is the president of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations, or WFEO. That is the top body for engineering institutions internationally, representing some 100 engineering institutions and approximately 30 million engineers. The Federation is co-hosting the Global Engineering Conference 2018 and is committed to advancing the UN's Sustainable Development Goals through engineering. Dr. Kang is a chemical engineer was the national president of Engineers Australia in 2013. She's a board member of the Sydney Water Corporation, Air Services Australia, and other boards involving innovation. She's also the director of iOmniscient LTD, gotta make sure we get that one right, which has developed artificial intelligence video technologies. And she's an honorary fellow of the Institution of Engineers Australia, an honorary fellow of the Institution of Chemical Engineers in the UK, a fellow of the Academy of Technology, Science, and Engineering Australia, and a foreign fellow of the ASEAN Academy of Engineering and Technology Dr. Kanga has been listed among the top 100 women of influence and the top 100 engineers in Australia and is a member of the Order of Australia as recognition of her leadership of the engineering profession. Just some amazing awards and accolades that she's received because uh, this lady has done some pretty amazing things for the engineering profession. And I think you're going to enjoy 
this conversation that I have with her. So it's time for us to jump into today's civil engineering conversation with Dr. Marlene Kanga. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our civil engineering conversation. I'm joined today with Dr. Kanga. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So are we. As uh, for the podcast listeners normally that listen to the show, you know that uh, Anthony and I uh, have conversations uh, leading up to these interviews with our guests. And so I was just having a, a brief conversation with uh, Dr. Kanga, letting her know that uh, it's just been recently that I had the opportunity to interview Lord Mayor, who was the guest on our first in the uh, this three-part episode leading up to the Global Engineering Congress. And so, quite frankly, uh, I'm very honored to be able to have this time and this opportunity to talk with Dr. Kang. And we're going to jump right into this now and help not only myself, but everybody, all of us, learn a little bit more about the uh, World Federation of Engineering Organizations. So, Dr. Kanga, the first question uh, right out of the gate here is if you maybe tell us a little bit more about the World Federation of Engineering Organizations. The World Federation of Engineering Organizations was formed in 1968, and it is the peak body for engineering, representing the professional engineering institutions of the world. We have around 100 members who are national members from various nations around the world, as well as regional and international members. So, for example, we have institutions representing the Americas, Europe, Africa, Asia, and so on. So it's a very exciting organization representing, we think, approximately 30 million engineers, but probably more. Why are we important? We are the voice of engineering at an international level. We promote the role of engineers globally at a high level on key issues that the world is now facing, including, for example, sustainable development, the growth of our cities, climate change, strategies for energy production, and so on. And all these require engineering input, but also we participate at a policy level to try and inform the policymakers on the requirements of science and engineering to deal with these issues. Okay, and we're going to get into sustainable development quite a bit more in the interview here today. But before we do that, I noticed when I was preparing for the interview today that this happens to be the Federation's 50th anniversary year. What does this mean to you, both professionally and personally? Well, this is obviously a very important milestone for engineering around the world. And I think it's an opportunity to raise the profile of engineering and the work that the Federation has done in the past 50 years. In that time, we've seen incredible changes occur. You know, for example, man has landed on the moon. We've had the first personal computer and we've had huge advances in information and communication technologies. And all this is a work of engineers, yet as engineers, we don't talk about it enough. So in our 50th year, we're hoping to celebrate and let people know what engineer has contributed to our our society and our modern world. So that's wonderful. And for those that are listening that maybe have never heard of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations before, in the show notes for today's episode, we'll certainly have several links that you can go and and follow that will help you to uh, learn a little bit more about the organization and the different things that they're doing around the world for engineers. So it's a pretty diverse and uh, and quite large organization. So as you mentioned, 13 million engineers worldwide, which is just an amazing number to contemplate the reach that the organization has. And you've been involved with the World Federation for many years. 
one of the themes that my co-host Anthony and I touch on a lot is is the importance of dedicated involvement in professional organizations. And I think for a lot of individuals, that's typically traced back to some type of a motivational source or an interest that ignited their interest and uh, it was only fulfilled through the participation in the organizations. I'm interested to know what was it that drew you to the World Federation and has kept you so actively involved over the years? I'm actually a, a relatively new recruit, if you like, to the world of professional engineering institutions. It only goes back to 2005 because I am uh, had to do the great juggle as a female engineer and a mother. I've had to raise a family and work and so on. And so I really didn't have very much time for engagement with associations beyond being a chartered professional engineer, which I'm very proud of and have maintained. But beyond attending the technical sessions for professional development, I was not much of a contributor for many years. And in in fact, it was only in 2005 when coincidentally my youngest child finished school and went to university and I thought, oh, you know, psychologically I can do something new. I got a call from Engineers Australia to come and talk about the issues relating to women in engineering. Now, I knew there weren't many women around because I personally have very rarely worked with another woman. And in my field, I'm still the only woman that works in process safety and, and you know does site visits in Australia and New Zealand. But I really didn't know what the numbers looked like. And when I turned up for this interview, there were a couple of women academics who had done the research, and I was horrified at the data and the small numbers of women that were building careers in engineering. The upshot was that I went on to reestablish the the National Committee for Women in Engineering, and I became its chair in late 2007 and also got elected to the Board of Engineers Australia, where I served for seven years and became national president in 2013. In 2008, I attended my first meeting of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations, and I was asked to give an impromptu speech at the General Assembly because they were considering whether to establish a committee for women in engineering. Well, that was right up my street, and I advocated very passionately for it, and it got established. And so I I attended the meetings initially to mentor and support the women who were putting together this committee in its early days. But I'm also a passionate engineer. I'm passionate about all things engineering. So I really plunged into all the other technical areas. My particular area is risk uh, and process safety and natural disaster risk. So I participated in the Committee on Disaster Risk Management, which was hosted by Japan. And despite being the only woman there, I became its vice chair and made a contribution there, which I really enjoyed as well. And so I quickly became an official representative of Australia at the Federation and uh, got elected to the Executive Council and then eventually as president in 2015. So it was uh, in a short 10 years from uh, my journey went from Sydney to the world stage. And so that's how it happened. That's pretty impressive that you were able to really become so actively involved and to, and to obviously go from 
is he was kind of highlighted a, a participating engineer to someone who's now been the uh, the president of both Engineers Australia and now with the World Federation. You touched on something else that that I know is a, is an issue in engineering organizations and for the engineering profession in general, not just in, in our countries, but I'm willing to say globally, and that has to do with regards to the role of diversity. I'm interested to hear maybe if you could share a little bit more about what the World Federation is doing to encourage our national and international members to collaborate in solving some of these problems and the role that diversity plays uh, in that effort. This is a very huge question. I think for sustainable development, we've got to engage all the intellects, the best intellects of the world, male and female. And uh, we simply can't have sustainable development by definition if we leave half the world's population behind. So we really do need to engage women to and encourage them to consider engineering and technology more broadly, including information technology as a worthwhile career. The World Federation has a Women in Engineering Committee, and we have uh, produced a number of statements, position statements and policy frameworks that help with diversity. And uh, we're also working with uh, the technical committees, for example, to build uh, capacity, for example, in water and sanitation. But it's very, very slow progress. Some of our national members have developed strategies that are very interesting and are also getting some traction. And they're going to be presenting at the Global Engineering Congress. For example, Canada has a program called 30 by 30, where they're looking to get to 30% women by 2030. And they actually have a league table of all their provinces and how they're tracking to get a bit of competition going, I suppose, to get more women engineers. Canada currently this year, I'm proud to say, has is up to their third uh, woman president of Engineers Canada. But not many countries have got to that stage. In fact, in many countries, uh, they're not even close. They don't even have women on their boards, leave alone you know, a potential for them to become national president. And this is the case right through Africa. In Asia, I only know of one country that has had a female president, and that is Sri Lanka. In fact, their third female president this year. And then a couple of countries in South America. And in the UK, to my knowledge, there's been only four women who've made president of their institutions, including the Royal Academy, Dame Anne Dowling, who will also be speaking at the Global Engineering Congress. So we have a fantastic session at the Congress where We have New Zealand presenting their strategy for diversity. We have UNESCO talking about their strategy. And we have women from South Africa talking about their strategy, get one million girls in STEM. And WFU is a very proud partner of this NGO and supporting them by widening their networks to encourage more girls into STEM. That's outstanding. And uh, as I'll be at the Global Engineering Congress uh, in October, Dr. King, I may be reaching out to you to try to set up maybe some interviews with some of these presenters that are going to be at the event. I think uh, our listeners would be very much interested in hearing more about what is going on uh, globally with regards to diversity and, and that, that in turn, by learning about that, can help them as they consider how they can make changes and help to 
ensure that we've got a very much inclusive uh, participation in the profession of engineering, which I agree with you entirely, absolutely needs to be much more inclusive than it has been traditionally. So very, very encouraging and uh, looking forward to some more of those sessions. And we're at the uh, Global Engineer Congress uh, here later this year. Kind of moving along to talk a little bit more about the Global Engineering Congress, which is going to take place in London in October of 2018, the 22nd through the 26th to be exact. The World Federation will be there. Institution of Civil Engineers will be there. Many other organizations from around the world are going to be there, engineering organizations. Dr. King, why is this event important to the engineering profession? And what do you believe is going to be or should be one of the main takeaways and outcomes of this event? This particular Congress is important for several reasons. First of all, it's celebrating a very important milestone, the oldest engineering institution in the world, the Institution of Civil Engineers, has its 200th anniversary. I don't know if you know that the first president of ICE is actually buried in Westminster Abbey. And this gives you an idea of how revered engineering was you know, 200 years ago, and the location of the ICE headquarters at One Great George Street, just across the road from the Houses of Parliament, again demonstrate the importance of engineering in the early years of the economy, of the modern economy of the United Kingdom. So I think it's a very important celebration for ICE, and it's also a very important celebration, as we also discussed, for WFEO. And I think it's a point, we're at a tipping point, if you like, where we can reflect where we've been and where we want to be. So I think it's very appropriate that we're talking about sustainable development, because as engineers, we've been very clever in building things bigger and better. You know, we've got all these wonderful skyscrapers and all these civil engineering marvels around the world, but we haven't been very good in managing resources, protecting the environment. And most importantly, we have a lot of work to do in bringing along so much of the world that doesn't have clean water, that doesn't have access to clean sanitation, that doesn't have access to sources of energy. And all this then reflects on their quality of life. So as engineers, we have a lot of unfinished business. And this unfinished business can be addressed by addressing the goals of sustainable development, because every one of these sustainable development goals involves science, involves engineering, and involves technology. So here's an opportunity for us all to step up and say, look, let's do engineering, but let's do it in a way where we can think about the impact that it has. And let's make that impact a positive one so that no one is left behind. So I think the confluence of all these ideas is very important at the Global Engineering Congress, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. And I'm equally excited to be able to participate and look at the different sessions that will be going on, because as you've already highlighted, or you just highlighted, one of the goals at the Engineering Congress this year is going to be taking these high-level, I'll just call them high-level strategies across five specific sustainable development areas. and developing action plans that will allow national engineering organizations, other international organizations to be able to develop policy and to understand how best they can participate. WFEO plays, a, I would assume, a very important role in helping to guide the development of these action plans. 
And you're also partnered with many other national, international engineering organizations. How do you see that partnership helping to progress the profession of engineering across the globe? And uh, how do you think that that relationship between WFEO and the national organizations can help, uh, more importantly, help propagate uh, the achieving these different sustainable development goals? I think the partnership is very important and partnerships, in fact, goal 17 of the sustainable development goals themselves. And what we've done is is in a remarkably short time in the last six months, we've brought together the international organizations that are our peers in engineering. We've partnered with the Federation of International Consulting Engineers, FIDIC. We've partnered with the International Federation of engineering education societies and these are the educators these are the academics the lecturers and professors in engineering education so they have specialized knowledge in in that area similarly we intend to partner with the global engineering deans and we've also partnered with the international network of women engineers and scientists to address the diversity issue and we're coming together because we feel the partnership gives us a bigger voice. It also, the collaboration avoids duplication. And then we can also use our networks to promote our relative messages. And of course, our national members are very important as participants, but also to promote our messages. And one of the key things that we're going to be doing, and in fact, kicking off at the Global Engineering Congress, is a big project to build capacity for engineers, because there's a global shortage of engineers, and we need more engineers to achieve sustainable development for every one of those goals. So we are going to be looking at uh, inviting countries that want to build their capacity in engineering in two areas. One is to by improving their standard of engineering education and bring it up to the globally recognized standards. And secondly, also looking at those standards themselves and what they represent and whether they actually reflect what employers want. And this is where our consulting engineers network will be very important. Are we serving the needs of industry? And secondly, are we also producing the engineers that can cope with the technologies, not just of today, but tomorrow? Because the situation is that when engineers graduate, what they learned in year one, in their first year, has become out of date. So we've got to be able to make engineering education more agile in terms of rapidly changing technologies. So we've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to start doing this work at the Global Engineering Congress. And then we're going to report on progress on what we've achieved over the next few years. So this is one of our our big objectives for the Global Engineering Congress. That's fabulous. And there's a thread here for the audience that's listened to the previous episode with Lord Mayor, where he's talked about the importance of the digital future and how civil engineers specifically can prepare themselves for the digital future. So it's a a theme that uh, as we go through a number of different interviews now, uh, we're starting to pick up over and over again that as an engineer, regardless of what stage in your career you are at, you have to continuously be educating yourself and preparing yourself for the next, uh, what's coming next, which can always be a challenge. And for the young engineers that are just coming out of university or are still in university and are listening to this, it's the understanding that as you enter into the profession of engineering, 
it's a uh, you're really making a pact for lifelong learning and the necessity to be continuously enhancing and developing your own skills. So very good point there. So at the Global Engineering Congress in 2018, there's going to be five specific sustainable development goals that are going to be addressed. For the listeners, those are sustainable cities and communities, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, industry innovation and infrastructure, and then, and then climate action. All these are important. You know, Dr. Kenga, as you've already touched on, resources aren't unlimited. And in fact, uh, all engineers realize this. And uh, I guess my question would be, what do you feel requires the most immediate attention of the engineering profession's resources to attack and to solve? Out of these particular goals that uh, the Global Engineering Congress is going to address, I feel action against climate change is probably the most important, simply because we have just one planet. So we've got to have a plan to protect it, because President Macron recently said, we have no plan B. We don't have a planet B, even though they've discovered water on Mars. So we really got, uh, as engineers, got to put our heads together. And in fact, the World Federation of Engineering Organizations has a big initiative on to declare the 4th of March each year as World Engineering Day for Climate Change Action and Sustainability. And uh, we are hoping that this declaration will flow on from the Global Engineering Congress and come to fruition in 2019. So this will be an opportunity each year to celebrate what engineers have achieved and the contribution they've made to the world, to our modern world, but also to look at what actions engineers are taking and need to take to address climate change. And uh, climate change and action to mitigate the impacts of climate change then affects everything else that follows, the other goals. For example, we need to look at mitigating the risk of infrastructure that might be affected by climate change. Uh, We've got to build cities that are sustainable and mitigate the impacts of climate change. For example, in times of extreme drought, we've got Cape Town right now on a ration of 50 liters per person per day. And uh, this is because they've had a severe drought for several years and they're running out of water as a result of climate change. So as engineers, we need to put our heads together and think of the best solutions. We've got to innovate, which is another aspect of the five sustainable development goals that we're talking about. So you can see here that they're all linked very closely. But in my view, climate change action is very important. And I hope that engineers all around the world will get behind our proposal to declare World Engineering Day. For the listeners out there, I will make a, sit here making notes for myself. We'll make a note to myself to make sure that we have a follow up on this particular point. And while I'm at the Global Engineer Congress representing all of you, I will make sure that we get uh, a couple of additional um, interviews uh, put together for all of us to learn a little bit more about the importance of climate action and what engineers can do with that. I know anecdotally, all of us probably have a story that we can relate uh, from our lives to this point with regards to uh, the changes of the climate. Dr. Kanger and I were just talking just before we got on the call today, this interview. As I sit here in the UK, uh, we had rain today for the first time in 80 days. So anybody who's been to England before, I think the uh, the world kind of tends to think of it as being this uh, always overcast and always raining. I've lived here before back in the late 90s. And uh, yes, we just finished 
80 days without rain, and uh, today it's got a high of uh, 33. It's going to be quite warm here, so definitely an issue to continue to follow. And uh, Dr. King, as you pointed out, there is no planet B, so uh, much more to come on this one. For those individuals who uh, maybe are considering going to the Global Engineering Congress, those who maybe have never heard of the event before but want to learn more, I'd be curious for your thoughts on who the typical attendees are at one of the Global Engineering Congress events and what advice you might be able to provide on how a participant or delegate should best prepare to come ready to actively participate. Well, I would encourage young engineers in particular to take this opportunity to come to the Global Engineering Congress because it's going to be uh, something quite unprecedented, at least for the WFEO sessions on day one and two. We have expert speakers and leaders from every corner of the globe, from Rwanda to Fiji, and you know, male and female, young engineers and older engineers. And I, I would say they're very accessible. Come and hear them speak, go and have a chat with them in the breaks. You learn a lot and you'll make great connections and networks. I think for young engineers, this is an unparalleled opportunity. Of course, all the engineers will come along and make their connections and their networks and perhaps progress their business. And I'm sure that engineers from around the UK will have a great time networking with the diversity, the geographical diversity, the gender and the age diversity of engineers that we're going to see at the Global Engineering Congress. I think it's going to be an, a marvelous event. I think so as well. I'm quite excited. This will be my first uh, Global Engineering Congress. And again, for all of you listeners out there, I will be uh, your ombudsman for this one, uh, attending on your behalf. And uh, if you have a chance to go and visit the link to the Global Engineering Congress, it'll be in the show notes for today's episode. If there's something in there that you're really, really keen to want to hear about, make sure you go down, leave us a comment, and uh, I'll see if I can try to get it into the uh, schedule to go and meet with somebody while I'm there and uh, maybe even do a little bit of a follow-up interview. So I'm looking forward to this event as well. It's going to be uh, quite exciting. We've been talking about the Sustainable Development Goals, and we've touched on uh, the role that the WFEO plays in in uh, expanding both diversity and really uh, supporting the uh, development of engineers uh, to solve some of the, the shortages that we've got globally. Are there any other roles that WFEO plays on behalf of the engineering profession that you might want to tell us about? Uh, yes, WFEO has uh, 10 standing technical committees, which works in a number of different areas that are relevant to engineering. For example, we have a committee for anti-corruption and we partner with the OECD because they're very keen to drive uh, you know, integrity in infrastructure projects around the world. So this year, for example, we participated in their integrity forum and uh, we'll continue to work with them on various projects. We've actually uh, also helped in the development of the International Anti-Bribery Standard, ISO 37001, and we have representatives on the technical committee for that standard, which continues to evolve and develop. Just last week, we were in the United Nations in New York, where we participated in the high-level political forum relating to sustainable development, along with the International Council for Science, another of our partners. And again, we are co-chairs of this forum and have a, very, a voice at the very highest levels. 
And in October, we're going to Poland uh, to COP24, where we hope to have a side event. And we've been going to the uh, COP meetings for a number of years, uh, and we were there in December 2015 in Paris when the historic agreement to limit uh, emissions was uh, signed by or agreed by participating countries. We are in a number of areas all the time, and I'm very pleased to say that we have active members in all parts of the world, in Geneva, going to the World Meteorological Organization events, in Kenya, going to the United Nations environmental events, in Asia, and so on. So uh, we draw on our networks and we uh, get our members to represent us and to speak at these forums and uh, to make submissions where appropriate. That's amazing on the on the reach that the World Federation has. And for listeners who perhaps have never heard of WFEO before, there's some inspiration that you can take away from this uh, just by what Dr. Kanga had relayed to us about her not only learning about the organization, but uh, going from learning about it you know, just a, a short 13 years ago to being the president of the organization. So just because maybe you've not heard of it before, if it sounds interesting, which I know a lot of engineers, listeners, certainly in the U.S. and Canada, are always interested in it. They're always coming to us asking questions about how they can become involved at the global uh, level. Uh, here's one way to do that. Kind of pulling the string on some other things that, that we've talked about in the interview so far. I'd be curious, Dr. Kanga, to hear about what progress is being made to support engineers who are working globally to travel and work at the professional level across many countries. So, for example, a, a chartered engineer in the UK going to, say, Canada or Australia or, or closer to my professional situation, an American that's coming to the UK to work at a professional level. There is already a multilateral agreement that allow engineers to do just that. It's called the International Engineering Alliance. And uh, it has at the moment around uh, 25 signatories, including the United States, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and so on. And so engineering institutions that are accredited under this program, their qualifications are recognized automatically. So engineers can travel and their professional credentials, say as a chartered engineer, for example, is also recognized uh, as a, you have an international PE, international professional engineer, post-nominal that can be applied for. But for example, in the United States, not all institutions are accredited by the signatory to this accord, which is the American Accreditation Board of Engineering Technology. So for example, Stanford is not a signatory. So if you're a graduate of Stanford and want to come to Australia, you have to unfortunately go through the hoops. But it's a very good program. And what WFEO is doing is we partner with the International Engineering Alliance and we are going to extend the reach of this multilateral accord as part of our capacity building program, which I referred to earlier. So we're going to work with countries, say in Africa, where currently there's only one signatory, that is South Africa, to bring the remaining 49 South Saharan countries up to standard, to this global standard, so that they can mutually recognize each other within Africa and across the world. And we're going to do the same in Asia and in South America. These are the regions of greatest need. So you can see that this is an area where WFEO absolutely fits into the space, owns the space. And you can see the power of our partnerships 
with the International Engineering Alliance, with international engineering educators, and with the Global uh, Consulting Engineers Group. Uh, Coming together, you can now see how meaningful and important this is and how, in fact, it adds to the relevance of the organization because it's important to everyone, every single engineer as an individual around the world. And this does actually hit close to home for me because I am starting the process on uh, becoming a chartered engineer here in the UK. So uh, this is actually very good information. (laughs) I'm going to be doing some research on my own on this, and I'll be sharing it with all of our guests, uh, all of our listeners as we go along. So I appreciate that. So I'm going to shift focus here for a moment because one of the things that co-host Anthony and I like to do is, is to really touch not only on the professional pieces that we have been doing, but also touch on the professional accomplishments and how engineers have gotten to where they are in their career. Your professional accomplishments are very, very many. Uh, Company founder, consultant, uh, and a patent holding innovator, chair of Australia's Department of Industry and Sciences R&D Incentives Committee. As you've already mentioned, the past president of Engineers Australia. You're the sitting president of WFEO, honorary fellow of the Institution of Engineers Australia and of the Institution of Chemical Engineers in the UK, and a fellow of the Australian Academy of Technology, Science, and Engineering. How do you keep your professional diary straight and know where to focus your mental energies as you go from day to day? I think uh, what drives me is passion. I really love engineering and I never seem to get tired of it. I find myself really fortunate to have become an engineer. I'm endlessly fascinated by it and I'm really empowered by the fact that engineering allows you to make a change in the world, hopefully a positive change. So I think very few professions have the potential for such a positive impact. So that passion drives me and gives me energy where I didn't know I have it. And secondly, I mentioned I'm a mother and I've had a very busy family life and I've done the big juggle. So I'm very, very organized, very disciplined. And uh, I just focus on the priorities and I just get things done. But uh, I have to say that it's my enjoyment. I think if you don't love what you do, you can't do it. Unending enjoyment that I have is very energizing and that that allows me to perform and to deliver. Clearly evident just from the short conversation that we've had and getting to know each other that you are extremely passionate about engineering. So I'm very much looking forward to meeting you in person. And it's uh, I think it's very inspiring to hear for any engineer that's out there that's looking at their let's just call like the the different work that they've got to do. So the different uh, obligations that they've got that uh, you can be involved in a lot of different things. You just have to be energized (laughs) to want to be involved with them. And uh, as Dr. Kang has laid out that uh, it's really, it's a focus on priorities and a desire to want to get things done. And that it tends to save the day. So I appreciate that insight. You've been involved in engineering for decades. I'd be curious just for you to kind of maybe tell us a little bit about of all the different engineering projects that you've been involved with what project you felt had the most positive impact on society and why? My favorite is one that I achieved quite early in my career. I did a master's at Imperial College uh, in London and specialized in process uh, safety uh, in chemical engineering. And this was soon after the Flixborough disaster in the UK and the establishment of the health and safety executive. But when I went to live in Australia, this was a very new area and was not taught even in the university. So for the first 10 years of my career, I worked in the oil and gas sector. 
But um, eventually, in around the mid-80s, the University of Sydney had a special project. It's called the Warren Centre for Advanced Engineering. And they had a project on process safety. So I was in there like a flash. And I met other people that were similarly minded. And this eventually led to my drafting the first set of what's called the land use safety criteria. We developed a very elegant way of deciding how to protect society from the location of hazardous chemical industry. So, for example, we have areas in Sydney and Melbourne where historically we have a, a concentration of very hazardous industries and we have residential development across the road. How do you determine that these people are going to be safe from a fire or explosion from these facilities? So we developed a very elegant solution in the state of New South Wales, where Sydney is based. It never got into law in, in New South Wales, but quickly got adopted in the state of Victoria after they had a big explosion there and a gas plant. And then subsequently across all the states in Australia, in New Zealand in 2016, and in Singapore in 2017. It's something intangible, something you can't see, but I'm really proud of it because I've made hundreds, perhaps millions of people, I've kept them safe. And I think that's the power of engineering. It's all about the impact that you have. And for young engineers out there, if you're doing a boring job, think about the impact, think about why you're doing it, and that will be very empowering. That's a fabulous, fabulous story. And, and I think also the importance that it highlighted, at least in my mind, as I was listening to that, of an engineer's role in the development of, of standards and policy, just because, as you mentioned, you know, for civil engineers especially, we may work on a, a bridge or on a structural project related to a, to a building. You know, it may af- affect hundreds and thousands of people over the lifespan of that structure. But policies and regulations and being involved in the development of standards can have just, you know, as you mentioned, it can affect millions of people for hundreds of years. What a wonderful story to to share. And again, inspiration for engineers that are listening to the show here today. I've got one last question for the main segment here today. And that is, um, you know, the engineering profession, as we've just been talking about, can make a massive impacts on the natural environment and society that can last decades, sometimes even centuries. What are the impacts that you'd like to see engineers today strive towards leaving for the engineers that are going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations? I simply hope that in 100 years, engineers have made the kind of sustainable development, uh, sustainably developed world that we all want, where no one's left behind, where everyone has clean water, has access to good sanitation, has a source of energy for cooking, heating, and light. I think this is part of the quality of life. And I think we owe it to ourselves and to the world to make it happen. And I hope it doesn't take 100 years, but I'll be very pleased to look back in 100 years and say, gee, wasn't it great that we made that happen? Each one of us uh, that are listening to this podcast episode have a role in making that happen. We're going to shift off into our civil engineering hot seat segment. So everyone that's listening, Stand by. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. So I've got some big news for my civil engineer listeners. If you've been thinking of getting your PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out PPItopass.com. 
So PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, PPI has recently released the brand new Civil Engineering Reference Manual. Now, this essential book for your PE civil exam prep can be found by visiting ppitopass.com, where you can order your new civil engineering reference manual and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, PASS.com. And I also have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of my podcast. Just use promo code TCE8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TCE8. All right, Dr. Kanga, welcome to the CE Hot Seat. Are you ready to go? Yes, absolutely. First question is, uh, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a, a specific morning ritual or something that maybe you do during the middle of the day or maybe even at the end of the day? Anything that you do consistently on a daily basis that you've found to contribute to you being such a successful professional? Well, one of the things that I do is I switch off all electronic devices and I'm I do that at least once a day, and I'm very disciplined about it. It drives some people crazy because they say, oh, we couldn't ring you or contact you, but it doesn't matter. You know, there's not going to be a catastrophe. And I just feel it helps you to get centered, to connect with people, talk to my family, and clear, clear the cobwebs. I think it's very, very important to let go and not be so dependent on all these numerous devices. I've got... Another question, and that is, is what is one book that you recommend to other engineers regularly or just one book that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional or personal development? I really like Stephen Covey's books, and I think the one that I like best is The Eighth Habit from Effectiveness to Greatness, because it's all about having a vision as to where you want to be and then getting there. And I think that sort of uh, really feeds into what I'm about. I'm a bang for buck person. I'm very strategic. I try to do things which have maximum impact with minimum uh, effort. I think focusing on exactly what you want to achieve and where you want to be really cuts out a lot of the extraneous stuff that you might waste your time doing and gets you there faster. Yeah, that's great insight. And we will have a link in the show notes for the book for those that are interested in wanting to go and read a little bit more on that one. So I've got one final question, and that is the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer or just any engineer and had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them some career advice in that short period of time, what would it be? Well, I would say to a young civil engineer, civil engineers have been changing the world for millennia. Just look around yourself, just in London, for example, where you have the civil engineering uh, work of the Romans, dating back to Roman times, which enabled the city to be established, to flourish, and to become a, a thriving metropolis for centuries. So this just shows you how engineers change the world and have an impact economically, socially, and politically. So if you want to change the world, become an engineer. Simply said and uh, well taken. I appreciate your time today, Dr. Kanga. Thank you very much for joining the audience and me today on this interview. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. So looking forward to meeting you in person uh, later this year at the Global Engineering Congress. It's going to take place the 22nd through the 26th of October. 2018 in London. Uh, if you're going to be there or if you're planning on showing up to that, drop us a note, send us an email, 
or just go visit the uh, episode show notes for today's episode and uh, leave a comment in there. Let Anthony and I know if you're planning on going there. We'd love to uh, hear from you and uh, more to come later on. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. That's all one word together, civilengineeringpodcast.com. And there you're going to find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to all the resources, websites, and books mentioned during the episode. And until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.